You're listening to the micro version of the Savage Lovecast at savage.love. If you're stuck in a relationship quandary, or if you're looking for sexual harmony, Uh, the body count discourse, the Burning Man discourse, which should I go with? Body count, Burning Man, body count, Burning Man. I'm going to go with Burning Man. I've been Burning Man adjacent for a long time. You can't know as many poly people as I do. You can't live in a place like Seattle with all of his techies. You can't know as many artists as I do without hearing about Burning Man. And then when it comes out, as it inevitably does, that you personally, me, have never been to Burning Man, you will hear, you will be told that you want to go to Burning Man. My response, you don't know me. You don't know what I want. You may know me well enough for us to be having a conversation about Burning Man. And people who go to Burning Man have a reputation, deservedly so, in some cases, for not being able to converse about literally anything else. But if you knew me better, you would know that Burning Man is not for me. I feel about Burning Man the same way I feel about skydiving or cunnilingus. I've seen the video. I've heard people rave about it. Not for me. Burning Man, if you haven't heard of it, is a big annual arts festival slash dance party slash orgy slash drug-fueled dance orgy party in the desert in Nevada in late summer. They build this huge man that they set on fire on the last night. People come from all over the place in RVs and campers and cars and a self-governing city or 70 or 80,000 people basically appears in the desert overnight. There are huge pieces of temporary public art, kinetic art, created for the joy of creation. And I'm not kidding when I say it looks like an amazing experience. But not for me. I don't like crowds. I don't like loud music, particularly loud music that goes on all night long. And while I'm not opposed to recreational drugs when used responsibly, I don't want to be trapped someplace with tens of thousands of strangers who haven't bathed in a week when I take recreational drugs responsibly. I want to be in a cabin on the Oregon coast with my husband and our dogs and access to a shower. So maybe you saw it in the news. This year's Burning Man, which was supposed to end yesterday, hasn't ended yet. There was an unwelcome guest at the orgy, and for once it wasn't Grover Norquist. It was rain. It's not supposed to rain in the desert in the summer this time of year. More rain in a day than this part of the country typically gets in three months. The rain turned the playa, that big flat expanse of desert in Nevada where Burning Man takes place, turned it to mud and no one could get out. People were told to ration their food and water and their molly and their cave because just like no one could get out, nothing could get in either. There are right now. Days after Burning Man was supposed to end, tens of thousands of people still trapped out there in the mud because the rain keeps coming. Some people thought this was funny. Some people mocked the burners stuck out there in the mud. Some people jumped online to spread false rumors about an Ebola outbreak. Some people really seemed to love seeing Burning Man devolve into chaos. Not me. I come not to bury Burning Man, but to praise Burning Man. I think Burning Man and other events like Burning Man meet an important human need. It gives people a sense of common purpose and mission. Like the Mardi Gras crews that work all year long on floats and costumes, the burners I know 
work all year long on their outfits, their art installations that they create together, their playa bikes. They meet up, they collaborate, they connect, and adult friendships are formed and sustained. And we need more of that. Studies keep coming out showing that people have fewer friends, men in particular. Some people, many people report having no friends at all. We have a loneliness epidemic that is contributing to political polarization, political radicalization, deaths of despair, and finding something to do, something you enjoy, something that gets you out of the house and away from the computer and doing that thing and meeting other people who enjoy doing that thing and doing that thing with them, collaborating and creating with other people, adults that you can then talk to about the thing you're doing. It's hard for adults to make friends. Adults can't just walk up to each other like five-year-olds and say, want to be friends? You have to be working on something together. And Burning Man is a thing that thousands of people work on together all year long. And I think it's a good thing. And any event, anything that can inspire headlines like this one in CNN, why some attendees are sad to leave Burning Man despite the flooding and the poop buckets, any event that can inspire a headline like that must be pretty great. If you are pooping in a bucket because the porta potties are out of service and the porta potties were your first choice, and you still don't want to leave, that must be a pretty kick-ass event. We need more like it. We need more Burning Mans. We need fewer Marjorie Taylor Greens. Green went on Alex Jones' podcast and said the rain, the rain that ruined Burning Man, was a sign from God. It wasn't a sign that climate change is real and maybe we need to do something about it and maybe the widely mocked climate activists who briefly blocked the road into Burning Man to raise awareness about climate change and Burning Man's enormous carbon footprint. Maybe those activists had a point? No, no, according to Green, it rained because God will not be mocked. Burning Man again concludes with the burning of a giant man, and this is, according to Green, idolatry. Green doesn't want the burners to walk away, and some are literally walking for miles in the mud to get away. She doesn't want them to walk away with the wrong message. The wrong message, climate change is real and it's going to keep getting worse if we don't do something about it. The right message, according to Green, repent. As with everything, if a Republican is talking, a Republican is projecting. There are millions of people in this country guilty of the sin of idolatry who need to repent. They are not at Burning Man. They are at Trump rally. All right, the Hump Film Fest Fall Tour kicks off this weekend in Kansas City, Austin, Ann Arbor, Seattle, Atlanta, and our first ever Hump screening in Durham, North Carolina. You can still stream Hump at home if you prefer, but nothing compares to seeing Hump in a theater with a live audience. For tickets and showtimes and to find out when Hump is coming to a city near you, go to humpfilmfest.com. And coming up on today's show, on the micro-free edition of the Savage Lovecast, tons of your cues, lots of my A's, and on the Magnum Savage Lovecast that you can subscribe to at savage.love. It'll get you the Magnum Lovecast and so much more. Author Shiva Rajayi joins me. She is the director of the Center for Anxiety and OCD. She's a psychotherapist and author, and she joins me to talk about relationship OCD. All that coming up on today's show. This episode of the Savage Lovecast is brought to you by Dipsy. Dipsy is an app full of hundreds of short, sexy audio stories designed by women for women. Get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to dipsystories.com slash savage. 
This episode of The Lovecast is brought to you by the good folks at Squarespace. They make it easy to build a beautiful website, blog, or online store. Head on over to squarespace.com savage for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, use the offer code SAVAGE to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. This episode is brought to you by Talkspace. Therapy made easy. Get $80 off your first month when you go to talkspace.com savage. Hi, Dan. I'm a 28-year-old queer woman. Up until recently, I thought that I was totally aromantic. Uh, I think that's mostly due to my hyper-independence, but I've recently really opened myself to love again. And my quandary comes where I am currently dating two of the sweetest boys I have ever met in my entire life. But it's been causing a bit of a problem for me internally is it's hard for me to know how to schedule it. Like if they both want to see me on the same day, they know about each other. They're fine with it. Everything's above board here. But part of me still feels like I'm doing something wrong. I don't know if that's social conditioning, but it's really hard for me to tell them like, hey, I have plans with other guy today. I can't hang out or anything like that. So I'm wondering if it's just not for me to have that kind of relationship or if this is something I could maybe get some advice and work through. A lot depends on what you mean by they know about each other and they're fine with those. Would they prefer each of them to be your only romantic partner or are they okay with, up for, even interested in being in a polyamorous relationship with you and by extension, this other guy in both their cases? If they're fine with it, if they're willing to settle for this for now because you've just started dating each of them, both of them, and you're not serious about either of them yet, even though you're open to it and you have feelings for both of them. And they're fine with it in the sense that neither is going to force you to choose right now, but one or the other or both of them at some point in the future would like to be your only partner or your primary partner, the one, the one you chose. If it's that, if they're fine with it for now, but each hopes to be your primary partner at some point in the future, well, then you should be a little bit circumspect, but winking. They know that if each of them will know that if you have plans on a certain night that they'd like to get together, it's probably with the other guy. So if boy A calls you and says, what are you doing Friday? I'd love to hang out. There's this thing. And you say, oh, I can't on Friday. I could on Saturday. He's going to know that you're with boy B. And you're kind of demonstrating consideration, tact, a certain degree of sensitivity when you are a little bit opaque about it. You're signaling to him, yes, I know. You're fine with this in the sense that for now this is okay, but not necessarily what you want Ultimately, and so I'm not going to rub your nose in it. I'm going to demonstrate to you that your feelings are important to me, even if at the moment I can't honor your biggest wish, your ultimate feeling, which is the wish, the feeling, the desire to be the only guy I'm seeing. But if what you mean by they're fine with it is they know about each other, they're cool with each other, maybe you're moving toward a kind of kitchen sink poly, everything's out in the open, neither is jealous, then, you know, if they know about it and they're fine with it in that sense, then treat them like they're fine with it. When one says, 
boy A calls and says, what are you doing on Friday? I'd like to do this thing. You can say, ah, I promised boy B I would go with him to this other thing. How about Saturday? And you can say the same sorts of things to boy B about boy A if they are fine with it in the poly is what they're not just open to for you, willing to settle for, to be with you, but what they want to. So fine with it, eh, willing to put up with it, be opaque. Fine with it, down with poly, want to have a poly functional, healthy relationship, you don't have to be opaque. Hi, Dan, 40-year-old gay guy here. After listening a lot to your show, I've been toying with the idea of being aromantic I've never been in a long-term committed relationship before, although I care deeply and I lay down in traffic for several friends and family members. The idea of romantic love just doesn't make any sense to me. I've never had any crushes in my adult life. I've never gotten butterflies after meeting someone, and I've never had those feelings that love songs in romantic movies describe. While I'm okay with the label of aromantic or being aromantic, I'm also sort of troubled. It seems like most everyone everywhere and in most times has fallen in love at some point in their life. And I haven't. Sometimes I feel like I'm missing out on an important part of what it means to be human or have a human experience, which makes me pretty sad. I guess that I have several questions about being aromantic and what that means. How do I not break the hearts of some of the caring, sensitive, and kind men that I've gone out with and have had sex with? I care for many of them deeply as friends and acquaintances, but it seems like many of them don't understand that when I say, I don't have those feelings, I really mean I don't have those feelings. Some of them even take it as a challenge, like they will be the ones to make me finally fall in love. Secondly, how do I know if I'm aromantic or maybe just need more therapy? My parents divorced when I was 12, and I know that my models for romantic relationships have mostly not been positive. I feel like I've had quite a bit of therapy about this already, though, and I'm 40 years old. But should I explore this more before I adopt the label and be out and proud about it? The great thing about labels is that you can take them off, you can slap them on, you can also take them off. You can also pull out a Sharpie and amend them or add an asterisk and add a little bit more whenever you want. So if it helps you to think of yourself as a romantic, if it helps you and the guys that you're dating for you to identify as a romantic and be out about a romantic, you can absolutely and should perhaps identify as a romantic. And if that turns out not to be true for you a year from now, five years from now, I hate to use this kind of framing because this shit was said to me when I was coming out as gay, but the gay and the aromantic experiences are different experiences that touch on different aspects of our sexual and romantic lives. But it was said to me when I came out, you just haven't met the right woman. And I don't want to say to you, you just haven't met the right guy. But the previous caller who identified as a romantic until two of the right guys came along is proof that someone can identify as a romantic, that that label can work for them. It can be their truth. And then they can tear that label off, peel that label off, amend that label. If life throws someone or something at them that requires them to rethink it and perhaps relabel themselves. So a label is there not to lock you in place. It is there to serve you. And if this label serves you, you should go right ahead and use it. And if you're 40 and you've discussed this in therapy and really worked on it and it hasn't changed, well, I don't necessarily think you should throw more therapy at it. You're 40. I think you should accept it and embrace it. And 
be proud of it. Yes, you're not going to have the common human experience of butterflies and love as portrayed in romantic songs and rom-coms. You're going to have a different human experience. You're going to have the aromantic human experience, which is a legitimate human experience. And I think when it comes to the guys that you date, most people are going to make the reasonable assumption that if you're out there dating and having sex and making connections, that you, like 99% of everybody, is capable of experiencing romantic love. If you know that not to be true for you, based on self-assessment, but also based on how long have you been sexually active? 20, 25 years of lived experience? You should tell people. This is kind of maybe the ultimate example of it's not you, it's me. You should tell these guys that you're dating that you don't have these feelings. You do not experience romantic feelings. You are a romantic. So that they don't think there's something wrong with them when they don't inspire these feelings in you. And so that they don't make a romantic investment in you. So, uh, you know, you can't help feeling your feelings. You feel things or don't feel things that you might like to feel or might not like to feel. And these guys might catch feelings for you even if you send up a flare and warn them that you'll never catch feelings for them in quite the same way. But they have a right to know that going in. This is something that you probably should disclose. And that doesn't mean you'll never hurt another guy again who might catch feelings for you, even with this warning, but you're less likely to hurt a guy. And if a guy decides, despite you identifying yourself to them as a romantic, to make an enormous romantic investment in you in the hopes that they'll be the one that breaks through and you do catch feelings for, and then they wind up getting hurt, well, that's on them. And then if they make that enormous investment and you do catch feelings for them, like the previous caller caught feelings simultaneously for two different guys, great, great. Then you will have this common human experience and you can steam that label off your can. Hey dude, are you in a band? Or are you working on a side business selling stuff you make? Or maybe you're doing some political work or community organizing? Then you should have a great looking website that works perfectly on every kind of screen. And no, do not tell me you can code it all yourself. You cannot. Squarespace can, and you'll get your site launched quickly, drama-free. You can sell custom merch and create an easy income stream that engages your audience and spreads the word about you. Design your products, and production, inventory, and shipping are handled for you, saving you time, money, and thus making you the hero of your posse. Sell your products in an online store. Whether you sell physical, digital, or service products, Squarespace has the tools you need to start selling online. It's easy to get started with Squarespace. They offer professional website templates with designs for every category and use case. Then you can customize your look, update content, and add features to fit your unique needs. You can make any Squarespace template do what you want so your idea, brand, or business stands out online on every device. Head on over to squarespace.com for a free trial, and when you're ready to launch, go to squarespace.com savage and use the offer code savage to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. That's squarespace.com savage and use the offer code savage. Hello, Dan. I'm the youngest of my siblings and um, had a very lovely childhood, lovely time. We had a family event 
last week. And my mother and father got quite drunk, very drunk <laughs> indeed. And um, my father stayed on at the party and I brought my mother home in a taxi, of course. And she seemed very upset when I brought her home. So um, I didn't know what this was about. I thought perhaps a fight with my father. And I made her some tea, as we English do. And after quite a lot of coaxing, over two hours of it, she told me that she thinks that she might be gay or something, I'm not sure. And that she is known for a very long time and that she actually had a relationship with a woman while she was married to my father, but that stopped when she had children, us, and um, she hasn't seen her for decades. Um, so that's quite, it's quite shocking, very, very shocking. I always thought my parents' marriage was relatively well-adjusted. The next morning, she didn't say anything else to me, and I am very very confused and I don't really know what to do and I don't really know what to say and I don't know how to approach her. I don't know whether I should tell my father this. I don't, I don't know whether I should tell her to tell him. Does he know? I don't know. It's all a bit scary. She seemed uncomfortable that she told me. I'm not sure. I'm not sure she would have said anything. She didn't have anything to drink. Where do I go with this? Do I not say anything to anyone? Do I tell my siblings? I'm not sure. If you love your mother... If you want to be supportive, you will keep your fucking mouth shut. You will not go and tell your dad what your mother told you when your mother was drunk after you took her home and coaxed her, you say, for two hours to tell you what the fuck she was feeling or thinking about or was making her sad and she finally broke down and told you after two hours of questioning? Yeah, you shut the fuck up. You don't tell your siblings. You don't tell your dad. If you say anything to your mother, all you say to her is, look, if you want to talk about that again, we can talk about it. You can confide in me. You can trust me. And I won't say anything to anyone. It is not your job or your responsibility to tell your father this thing that your mother decided at some point in her life never to tell your father this fact about herself that very may well be true. She may be gay. She may be a lesbian. She may be bi enough to have married a man and had some children with that man. And she, at this stage of life, late middle age, have some regrets and some feelings about different choices she could have made, different ways she could have lived. And man, you just got to keep your mouth fucking shut. This isn't your secret to tell. And if your mother felt uncomfortable the next morning, it was probably because she was worried that you might say something to your father that would blow up her life, that would devastate your father emotionally, that might make him feel like his entire married life had been a lie. It's possible that your mother was gay. It's possible that your mother succumbed to social pressures at a time that others were shaking off compulsory heterosexuality. Your mother succumbed to compulsory heterosexuality and she was incapable of fully loving your father sexually and romantically, but she did love your father. 
to the best of her ability in the limited way that a gay person or a lesbian person who succumbed to compulsory heterosexuality decades ago could love the opposite sex partner that they chose or settled for under duress. Your mom can't unmake those choices now. This may be something your mom never wants to tell your dad. This may be something that your dad would never want to be told. And luckily for you, it's not your thing to tell your dad or tell your siblings. The only person you should say anything to right now is your mom. And all you need to say to your mom is you don't have to worry. I will not say anything to anyone. If you need to talk about this again, you can talk to me. If you want to talk to somebody else, I'll help you find a therapist. If indeed you want to tell dad, if you want to come out, I will be in your corner. I will be there for you. I will also be there for my father who I also love. And then shut the fuck up. Shut your mouth. Don't say anything to anybody. Don't say anything to your dad. Don't say anything to your siblings. Just say to your mom. You're not going to say anything to anyone, but if she wants to talk some more, she can talk to you. This episode of the Savage Lovecast is brought to you by Dipsy. Dipsy is an app full of hundreds of short, sexy audio stories designed by women for women. Dipsy brings scenarios to life with immersive soundscapes and realistic characters. Women often ask me for advice about how to tap into their erotic imaginations without supporting a problematic industry. Dipsy is the way to go. They have a section called Hunks. Here are some of the characters. Sebastian and Benji are BDSM party boys. One British, one American, both ready to please. Jack is your broody hometown crush with a secret sensitive side. Reggie is a playful guy who makes you laugh as he helps you explore your kinks. And that's just the fellas. I choose them because I'm gay. The female characters in Dipsy stories are amazing too. Dipsy has stories for straight and queer listeners, and 56% of Dipsy stories are voice acted by people of color. New content is released every week, so in between listening to your favorite stories and activating your erotic imagination again and again, you can always find something new to explore at Dipsy. They also have soothing sleep stories, wellness sessions, games you can play with a partner, and sexy tutorials and tons of other classes and sexy stories you can read. Let Dipsy be your go-to place to spice up your me time, explore your fantasies, relax, and unwind, or heat things up with a partner or the whole squad. For listeners of this show, Dipsy is offering an extended 30-day free trial when you go to dipsystories.com slash savage. That's 30 days of full access for free when you go to dipsystories.com slash savage. Dipsystories.com slash savage. Savage. Dear Dan, I'm starting a women's book club with a focus on books by women about women. A male friend of mine wants to be our naked server. He has played this role for another women's book club, and his responsibilities are to help set up for the book club, greet the guests at the door, take coats and bags, and then during the group, serve snacks, mixed drinks, and keep the drinks topped off, etc. Then to help clean up after the group has ended. All of the book members will be dressed. It's a really fun, great setup, and everyone in the other book club he serves. 
He is very excited to serve my new book club in this way, and so we have reached a disagreement in our planning. My new book club will be for anyone who identifies as a woman, period. When he was asked directly about this in his first book club, he says it's important to him that the group is all cis women. I, however, am not interested in starting a turf book club and would not be able to comfortably invite anyone I know to join such club. He feels like he's being vulnerable by being naked and wants to be able to make boundaries around who sees him naked. While he doesn't have an issue with trans women in other contexts, he says that he does not get to choose his sexual desires or his sexual orientation, and that he feels uncomfortable with the idea of sharing his naked serving kink with trans women. Dan, we're both really into the book club idea, and we are already have plans about who we want to invite. Of note, nobody yet on the list is a trans woman, and we have a book list, and now we are at an impasse. We had had respectful discussions with each other and have not made any progress on the issue, and we decided to turn our disagreement over to you. Dan, please guide us to find a way to have the book club we both want, one that lets him enjoy his serving kink that is also inclusive. I'm trying to be respectful of my friend's kinks, but I want also want him to get over this so we can start day drinking and book discussions. All right. Start the book club and start the naked serving. There's no trans women who have yet raised their hand wanting to join your book club, which means you're letting a purely hypothetical situation derail this book club and the enjoyment that this guy is so graciously willing to take from your book club by playing the naked servant at it. And you were going to have this book club anyway. You mentioned this book club to this guy and he's like, oh, can I be the naked servant? So have the fucking book club and he can be the naked servant for as long as he's comfortable being the naked servant. And if a trans woman comes along and wants to join your book club, I think you should let her join your book club. And then he can fuck the fuck off. He can take his erection and go the fuck home with it if he's not comfortable being the naked servant for 15 cis women and one or two trans women. If the presence of one or two trans women really spoils it for him, he's not obligated to continue having sex with your book club, which is really what this is for him. It is an erotic experience. CFNM, CFNM, I can never quite remember that acronym without really thinking about it. Clothed female, naked male. That is a kink. And so this is, even though there's no penetration, even though there's no presumably ejaculation, although I'd probably put a monitor cam in the kitchen where he's preparing the hors d'oeuvres and mixing the drinks just to make sure there was no ejaculation into the hors d'oeuvres or the drinks. It's a sexual experience for him. This is about eroticism and people have a right to decide who they want to have sex with. And Sometimes it hurts our feelings when people don't want to have sex with us for whatever reason it might be. Some people don't want to have sex with people because they're too old. Some people don't want to have sex with people because they're too big. Some people don't want to have sex with people because they're too skinny. They're too twinky. Some people don't want to have sex with people because they're trans. Some people don't want to have sex with people for all sorts of reasons that can feel, if you're on the receiving end of those rejections, dehumanizing and offensive, which is why people should attempt to steer around each other's feelings when it comes to meeting out these kinds of rejections. You should be courteous about your precious preferences. And that is a thing that it's possible to do. 
And the point of this book club isn't this naked weirdo, and I say that with affection. There's a lot of things I'm into sexually that classify me in the weirdo camp as well. The book club isn't about the naked weirdo. It's about The Bluest Eye or Eat, Pray, Love or whatever books by women that you're going to be reading with these other women. And The Naked Servant was incidental. And the presence of a trans woman right now at the book club is entirely hypothetical. So start the fucking book club already. And he can get off on being the naked servant for as long as he's comfortable being the naked servant. When he doesn't want to be the naked servant anymore, then you can have your book club in peace. Women can hang their own fucking coats up and get their own drinks. And they don't necessarily have to have them handed to them by the naked weirdo. Summer is ending. For some of you, that means school is starting. For all of us, change of seasons involves change in routines. Transitions can be hard. It can leave us feeling low. And if you've been considering therapy for a while but haven't gotten around to it, a change of seasons is a good time to take that next step. And I recommend Talkspace to help you with that next step. At Talkspace.com, you can sign up online and get a personalized match with a provider that's right for you, typically within 48 hours. It's incredibly convenient to have virtual sessions with your licensed therapist from the comfort of your own home. There's no need to commute to appointments, miss time at work, or line up childcare in order to attend sessions. It's mental health care made easy. Therapy can help you shift your perspective, give you the tools you need to cope in difficult times like these. Therapy, for so many people, is the guiding light that gets them through. Talkspace can help you with any specific challenge you might be facing. It's the number one online therapy platform with licensed therapists in over 40 specialties, including anxiety, depression, substance abuse, relationship issues, and much more. Talkspace is affordable and in-network with most major insurers. And as a listener of this podcast, you'll get $80 off your first month with Talkspace when you go to Talkspace.com slash savage. To match with a licensed therapist today, stop putting it off. Go to Talkspace.com slash savage to get $80 off your first month and show your support for the show. Again, that's Talkspace.com slash savage. Hey, Dan, I need some guidance. So I've been with my partner for almost two years now, and lately there's been a lot of distance. We haven't really been connecting like we used to. And so he's been on a trip. He's on the trip right now for a couple of weeks. And when I, I called him and I explained that we have been having this feeling, there's something up. And he said, there's nothing up, you know, no, I, I still desire you, of course. And so that just didn't really sit right with me. I still felt like something's up. He's being distant. And so he left one of his laptops at the house and I snooped and I know I shouldn't have snooped, but you know, it turned out my intuition was correct. And I found that he was looking for escorts and hookups in the areas that he was staying. And that I was mortified by this, but I ended up messaging him and asking him about that. And if he wants to explain what this is and he denied it, you know, he basically said that he was just looking for jerk off material and that it was like a porn thing when he's like signing up to rent men, which is just like insane to me. Accused, he said I was fucking crazy. He told me that I was kink shaming him and violating his privacy, which I did, you know, violate his privacy. But the fact that he can't address this and we can't even talk about it, you know, I'm all for not ethical non-monogamy, but the ethical part is really important, obviously. And so I think I have to leave. And the problem is, you know, we live at his home with two his two kids who are 20 and 17. I have an independent relationship with them both. And I just don't know, I guess I don't know what's appropriate to 
disclose about why I'm leaving. I don't want to dump on them and, you know, that's not okay. But at the same time, I don't want to just leave without a reason of any kind. And I don't want to let him be the only narrator in the situation. So I guess I need help understanding what would be appropriate in this, you know, what's okay to tell them. I don't want to paint a picture of his dad, their dad being a piece of shit. You know, that's not it. I don't think he is a piece of shit. I think he's been going through hard times and he fucked up, but like, I just need some guidance on this. What's appropriate to disclose to the family as I'm leaving the family. Let's be honest about what's going on here. This relationship is over. You've only been with this man for two years. And in that time, you've grown apart. There's not much trust. Now you violated his privacy and you found out that he is likelier than not cheating on you when he's out of town, practicing unethical non-monogamy. And you were, at least hypothetically, down for ethical non-monogamy, but you weren't down for this. And that's not okay, what he was doing. I think it's obviously a sign that this relationship of only 24-ish months was probably ending whether or not you snooped and caught him doing what he is most likely doing. But I think when you bring up his kids and exiting this family and you say, I don't want him to be the only narrator in this situation, what you're centering is your ego, really, that this relationship is going to end and these kids are still going to be his kids and they're going to live with him. And odds are they're going to ask where the fuck you went and he's going to obviously control that narrative. He's going to get to tell them whatever it is that he wants to tell them about the end of the relationship. And you don't want to let him get away with it. You don't want to let him get away with portraying you as the person who did something wrong or the reason the relationship ended. And so there you are tempted to tell a 20 year old and a 17 year old. What, what exactly? What are you threatening to tell them that their dad was fucking prostitutes when he was out of town? They don't, need to know that they don't want to know that. And I can assure you when you met these kids, they were 15 and 18. They were almost fully grown in one case and fully grown in the other. I'm sure they like you fine, but they haven't attached to you as if you are a parental figure in their lives and you are likely to not have a relationship with them in the future. And so you can't control the relationship they're going to have with their father in the future, nor should you want to try. Let him live with having been the bad guy here if the cheating on you makes him the bad guy in the story. He knows what the real story is. I think you can say to these kids, as you're packing your shit up, it just, it didn't work out. A distance grew between us. We became estranged from each other. And ultimately, as in so many adult relationships, we both did things that we regret. Period. The end. You don't have to tell them the thing that you did was violating their dad's privacy and reading through his emails and a laptop he left at home. And you don't have to tell them that their dad violated your trust by fucking other guys when he was out of town. They don't need to know that. What they'll know when you leave is that adult relationships are complicated, romantic relationships are sometimes not forever. And if you want them not to think of you as the bad guy, 
If you're worried that your ex is going to spin it that way, don't press that button. They will definitely think of you as the bad guy and the reason the relationship had to end. If you are so selfish as to out their father to them as a cheater and a whoremonger. Because even if that's true, they didn't need to know it. And the only reason that they'll think that you told them that was because you wanted to fuck up their relationship with their father. Hi, Dan. 38-year-old queer person. I was recently broken up with, with one of my holy partners. They stated that they didn't love me and they wouldn't, and I did, so that caused enormous amounts of guilt. We had an argument, uh, said some things I regret, and retrospectively, I realized I had it been tremendously controlling and demanding of this person that they had the relationship I imagined rather than the one they wanted or the one they could have. And I never really paid attention to their needs. I was quite dominant and tending to submit this person to myself. Now that it's over, I really wish to apologize about this and I realize my desire to apologize comes from an honest place, but I also have the notion that I might just be trying to fix what's now unfixable. And I'm quite torn between my desire to apologize and my knowledge of me being hopeful that we will get back together. What do you think I should do? Hey, I've given some thought to what you said to me when you broke up with me about me being controlling and demanding and not attentive to your needs. I sat with that and I recognized that you were right, that I was controlling and demanding and not attentive to your needs. And I apologize. And that is something I am going to work on. You could say that to him. He might like to hear that. I think if you said that to him, he has any emotional intelligence at all, he may know, and it's a reasonable assumption to make, that you may be issuing this apology in the hopes of getting back together. Sometimes that is what people do when they apologize in the wake of being dumped. They sincerely issue an apology. And I don't want to describe it as an ulterior motive because I don't think it's an ulterior motive. I think it's a motive motive. It's just feeling someone have that they didn't want this relationship to end and they regret how it ended. They regret their behavior that prompted the other person to end the relationship. And it's just generally understood that when someone is dumped for cause and they apologize for whatever they did that caused that person to dump them, that they're expressing a wish also, maybe just a desire to make it right, to say what they didn't say in the heat of the moment. They took the time to smell their own shit and they want to apologize for the stink. But also, if you were dumped, you probably regret being dumped and in some alternate timeline you hoped you would wish you were still together or in the timeline that you're in, you would hope that this person would recognize the sincerity of your regret and your apology and maybe give you some time to work on your shit so that it stinks less and take you back. But most people who get this kind of apology don't wind up taking the person who gave it back. So it's a little bit like a wish that is highly unlikely to come true and you know it and the person on the receiving end of the apology knows it as well. Doesn't create any obligation on their part to consider taking you back if you apologize for whatever you did that prompted them to dump you in the first place. And it could help to hear that. So 
say it and then fuck off. Say it and then stop texting. Say your piece. Issue that apology and then back the fuck off. And if that person is interested in reconnecting with you, in picking back up romantically or just being friends, they'll reach out. All right, before we get to this week's listener response calls, I want to share a couple of comments left on last week's show at savage.love. Says Delta35, Dan's advice to the man with the HIV-positive husband who kept his HIV status a secret left out potentially life-saving medical advice. Any fluid-bonded HIV-negative partner of an HIV-positive person should be on PrEP, even if the POS partner is undetectable. Undetectable status can change even for a medication-compliant, honest person who isn't harboring secrets. Thank you, Delta. That is a very important point that I should have made. Says by Dan Fan, great threesome tips from Dan and sex therapist Claire Perlman last week. I would add one which sounds a bit cynical but directly addresses the caller's admission of insecurity. Do not bring in a unicorn who is hotter than you are. Watching boyfriend with a hot woman will trigger jealousy and insecurity. Watching him with an ordinary looking woman, less likely to. I had assumed the caller was one of those many millions of bisexual women with boyfriends or husbands who've come out over the last 10, 15 years. If so, if she's bi, there's something in it for her if their unicorn is hot. But bi Dan fan is not wrong. Caller, if you're worried about feeling insecure in the looks department with somebody that you think is hotter than you are, uh, yeah, there's an easy way to control for that. Finally says, loves butts. A pregnant woman's 41-year-old husband shits in the shower and expects her to clean it up. Four question marks, four exclamation points. Doing this once should make anyone and or their spouse think it's time for a trip to the fucking hospital. Continuing to do this is the fastest fucking DTMFA I have ever fucking heard. All right, for more listener comments and more of my responses, check out Struggle Session posted on Thursdays at savage.love where I respond to comments, emails, and DMs from my listeners and readers. It's another perk for Magnum subs to get all the perks of being one of my subs. You can become my sub right now at savage.love. And now, listener response calls. Hey, Dan, Nancy, the Tech Savvy At-Risk Youth. Uh, This is a listener response call regarding the person who was receiving unsolicited sex pics as opposed to just solo pics. I see this potentially as a really good screening tool. Those people who are sending you pictures without considering the the consent issues uh, and or the, the needs and or feelings of those other parties involved are probably people you want to avoid like the plague. So you're going to block them and move on, and best luck to you. Hi, this is a response to the teacher in Florida in episode 879. I agree with what Dan said. I'm a public school teacher and have been for 17 years. Policies come and go, and although this policy seems very scary, do what's best for your kids. And if you're right now wondering if you should stay or should you go, stay and teach as if it's your last year in Florida. This is the trans man from episode 879. 
One detail I forgot to mention is that although the people I work with have been shitty, the institution that I work for does at least have LGBT affirming policies. So I decided to take a chance and come out as trans in an email to staff during our corporate pride week, during which we receive emails from head office reminding us that everyone is supposed to be welcome here. The director of our branch hit reply all and gave a poorly worded but somewhat supportive response. He wrote, thank you for your openness about your choices, which is not ideal, but also if anyone makes you uncomfortable, you can come to me, which was helpful in setting the tone. So far, none of the guys I work with have said anything about it to me. They're being pretty cold and impersonal, but at least they're keeping it polite and professional. And the guy who has been making me uncomfortable has backed off for the time being. So now I'm at least relieved of the burden of hiding. Things are okay for the moment. And I'm hoping that I can keep the peace until my work term and my lease end. And I can get the hell out of here. And we're going to leave it there. Got a question for next week's Lovecast or something to say about something I said on this week's Lovecast? Go to savage.love slash askdan right now while that question or comment is still fresh in your mind and record it for us. Or you can use the voice memo app on your phone and email your question or comment to q at savage.love. And you can also leave us a message at 206-302-2064. Once again, time to get tickets for a hump screening in a theater near you and while you're on the Hump website, be sure to check out how you can get your amateur porn film into my prestigious amateur porn film festival at humpfilmfest.com slash submit. Follow me on Instagram and threads and blue sky at Dan Savage, and I'm still in the bad place at fake Dan Savage. To learn more about Shiva Rajai's work and to get her book, you can go to the website for the Center for Anxiety and OCD. That website is at caocd.com. Savage Lovecast is produced every week by Nancy Hartunian and me and Nancy and the tech savvy at risk youth. We will all be back at you next week with an installment of the Savage Lovecast. Thank you for downloading.